coming up on Stu Does America. I dig up the dirt on Los Angeles with comedian Andrew Heaton. An alleged document leak from the Kremlin about Trump has the left all hot and bothered. And Joe Biden continues to spew our tax dollars indiscriminately across the country. Let's find out where our hard-earned money is going this week as we do the child tax credit. Stu Does America. Well, remember our good old buddy, Andrew Yang? Remember him? Oh, yes, the Yang Gang. Oh, it seems like so long ago. That does feel like a million years ago, doesn't it? The Yang Gang. Well, a lot of people would say Andrew Yang is a failure. And I, I mean, you know, let's give you part one of this. Uh, it's pretty excusable, I think. I mean, he was basically an unknown running for president. Of course you're going to fail. That's really, really hard to do. Andrew Yang is a failure. Part two is a little less excusable. I mean... He was the only guy that anybody seemed to know running for mayor of New York, and he completely failed on that as well. But what about Andrew Yang as a failure part three? What about his ideas? Are they failures? Because less than two years since you first heard the guy's name, here we are, about to prime the pump and make his idea a reality. Starting today, universal basic income is here. I mean... Not exactly here, but it's getting very close. America today, today begins a giant universal basic income experiment. What do I mean? Well, let's go through it. There's two parts to the policy. Part one is increasing the child tax credit. Now, the child tax credit has been around for a long time. It's a pretty popular policy. And it was increased from $2,000, which it normally is, to $3,600 under the guise of sort of COVID stimulus. Now, like it or not, this is normal policy wrangling. Even Republicans have proposed raising the child tax credit. I mean, here's a joint statement from Mike Lee and Marco Rubio from February of this year. Quote, we have long said that the child tax credit must be uh, further increased to help working families. In the current pandemic relief bill under consideration, we would support increasing the child tax credit to $3,500 and $4,500 for young children. Now, I mean, that's something you kind of see. That's a big, big increase and an actually an increase that's higher uh, than what they were talking about in the final bill. Like it or not, the expansion of the child tax credit is pretty much ordinary politics. Democrats wanted to experiment, however, with universal basic income. So this is no longer normal politics. Let me explain how this is going to work. Normally, when you get tax credits, um, uh, you are going to get those in the form of a refund uh, when you file your taxes, right? So the way this works, let's say normally with this increase, let's say you have four kids and they're ages 3, 6, 10, and 12. You get $13,200. Normally that would hit on April 15th or, you know, thereabouts. That's how that works. Democrats made the credit fully refundable. That was part one of their big change here. So let's say you only owe $7,000 in taxes. Well, it zeroes out your tax bill, first of all. Plus, you get an extra $6,200 in cash. If you pay no taxes at all, they just give you $13,200. But just upping the amount of cash and giving it to people who don't even pay taxes is not even the important part of this. Check your bank account today. Starting today, you get cash every single month from the government 
most likely, it's not every single person, but most likely you're getting cash. Instead of one lump payment weighed against your taxes that you might not have even understood you were even getting, instead, on the 15th of every month for the rest of the year, most people are just going to get a deposit from good old Uncle Joe. Half the year, half the credit, broken up over six months. So that family getting $13,200 sometime next year in the old-timey days, now the family gets $1,100 payment from the government every single month. Think about that for a second. Think about the head games that plays. The government is paying families $1,100 a month, no questions asked. Hmm. What was that Andrew Yang policy again? Mr. Yang, your, your signature policy is to give every adult in the United States $1,000 a month, no questions asked. That's right. Uh, I think that's like $3.2 trillion a year. How would you do that? Sorry? <laughs> how did that guy not win? I don't understand. I'm sorry? Like, I, you want me to think about how I'm going to do that? What? What? I mean, look, I'm perplexed as well, uh, Andrew. I think uh, in the 2019 Andrew Yang would be surprised uh, that it happened this fast. I mean, sure, it's not $1,000 a month. It's $1,100 a month in our example. And the new policy is based on your children just existing instead of you just existing. And to be fair, it's not exactly universal basic income. If you don't have kids, you don't get it. If you're too rich, you might lose some of the money. But I mean, I was playing with the calculator earlier today. And you can still get a monthly payment from the government if you earn over a half million dollars a year. That's right. Governments are still getting payments to you if you make $550,000 a year. So this is not full universal basic income. It's experimental universal basic income. You might say, who cares about the monthly payments? It's the same amount of money that they would have received at the end of the year. And you're right. But respectfully, and I do mean this respectfully, I mean this with love, you're too smart to understand. Yeah, smart people might look at their budget and factor in their tax credit. But if everyone handled their finances with planning and intellect, we wouldn't be in the situation that we are in. Luckily, I happen to be just dumb enough to put myself right in the flow of the American people. And I'll tell you this, people are going to love getting these checks. They are going to love getting free money from the government, and then they are going to spend the money. They are not going to want the money to stop. It's supposed to stop at the end of the year, but let me take you there for a second. Put yourself in the mindset of December going into January. The media is going to highlight tragic stories of people who depend on that cash. Remember, Christmas is around this time, okay? Cash is all going away right around Christmas time. How is this going to play out in the media? Democrats will say the payments, of course, they just need to continue. Why would we stop them? Will Republicans really fight that battle in an election year? You think so? I don't know. I don't see that spine developing. But it gets much, much worse. People will simultaneously realize that they aren't getting that tax refund they've had every other year. Media will be highlighting more and more of their tragic stories. The cycle will continue and continue and continue. This is priming the pump for universal basic income. Like Obamacare, when people get used to it, we are stuck with it. And let me give you this this clip. If you don't believe me, let me give you this clip. This is from Axios and one of their podcasts talking about uh, how the Democrats are thinking about this whole policy. The political conversation will shift to whether or not this 
program is going to the end of the year, if this will become permanent. It's too early to say whether Democrats can win the argument to make this more permanent. You know, maybe, but Democrats understand the stakes on that. And that is, if you get Americans accepting of this idea, it's very difficult to take it away. Mm, You are correct, sir. (sighs) Mike Lee and Marco Rubio saw this coming. Remember, Lee and Rubio wanted even more money going back to families. But they saw what the left was up to. Quote, we would support increasing the child tax credit to 3500 and 4500 for young children. However, we do not support turning the child tax credit into what has been called a child allowance paid out as universal basic income to all parents. That is not tax relief for working parents. It is welfare assistance. It is welfare assistance. It is an experiment in universal basic income. And if we're not careful, it will work. It will stick. Now, you can opt out. But here's the thing. The issue is, if you can complete the arduous process to opt out, you're not the problem. I'm sorry. This is going to be, it's not one of these things you can just kind of take on on your own. If you are not, if you are the one opting out, you're not the problem here. Every person who gets these payments will be excited to see them overall. I mean, the average. There'll be some people who are onto it, but they'll become viscerally angry when they go away. And they will direct their anger at Republicans, the only people opposing those payments from continuing. Look what the media has done with voting. One year emergency pandemic rules going away has been Jim Crow 2.0. What do you think happens when the real cash starts going away? Democrats will look like the heroes in the media. Worst case for them, they just raise tons of money on the issue. But worst case for us. They will make it into part of American life to receive a monthly check from the government. Conservatives have long said if we stopped withholding and made people pay their entire tax bill in one big check at the end of the year, the income tax would go away immediately. This, what we're looking at today, is the inverse of that point, and it's way more dangerous than we're giving credit for. July 4th is Independence Day. If we don't watch it, We might have a brand spanking new holiday to celebrate every July 15th. Happy Dependence Day, everybody. So here we are in one of the hottest uh, housing markets you're ever going to see. And you might be thinking, look, this is the time. Maybe we want to downsize a little bit. We want to sell our home. It's a big decision, and I wish you the best with it. But I wish you the best uh, on that decision with somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. I know I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to homes. I need a real estate agent that I can trust, someone who's going to come in, take charge, tell me what needs to be fixed, what doesn't need to be fixed. You can spend $3,000 repainting those rooms, uh, but the new people are going to come in and just repaint them anyway. Don't bother. Save the money. Realestateagentsitrust.com are the people who are at the top of the industry. Uh, These are people who have had the best results in their area. And these are the people that have made it through a very arduous screening process to get on realestateagentsitrust.com. You need to go there because you need to have the best agent in your area. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Get more information now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. So happy to welcome back uh, to the studio, Andrew Heaton. He is here. He's got a brand new book out this week. It's called Los Angeles is Hideous, Poems About an Ugly City. Be sure to grab your copy today. 
Andrew, thanks for coming by, man. I am thrilled to be back. It's always fun to hang out with yeah. you. It's cool to be on set. Uh, yeah. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm very excited. I, let me start at the very back of the book for a okay. second. Yeah. You sort of explain at the back of the book that you're not actually a poet. Yes. I, <laughs> okay, so it's, it's an odd approach so this, for, for this, someone. This is slightly embarrassing because mm -hmm. earlier today, I did hit number one bestseller in poetry. You did? I did. For yes. like five minutes. I think now, now number four. So if you want to help me overtake the, the novelist, which is not the same thing, that's currently number one, that would be a great help. <laughs> so it's odd for me, arguably one of the top poets in the United States to say this. I think poetry is mostly for people too lazy to learn guitar. Like, <laughs> I think it's just song lyrics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am one of these people. Right. I'm too lazy to learn guitar. Guitar's hard. I don't really know why the medium existed after the invention of the guitar. Like, I feel like at that point, we should have just, everybody should become a musician. Mm -hmm. All the same, though, mm -hmm. uh, I went, yeah, I'm a comedian making parody of poetry. Mm -hmm. And this book is just, the poems are shovels I used to scoop jokes into your brain. Yes. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Because I, I kind of, I've had this um, opinion for a while that I believe, uh, generally speaking, and this is, of course, does not apply to your, your book, which is great. But generally speaking, poetry is dumb. I don't think it's a good <laughs> medium. I think it's, it's a mistake. It was a large mistake. People keep doubling down on it. And it's, you know, I'm not a fan of musicals, for example. I'm not, not a fan of musicals. Okay, well, we will fight about that. We I don't, fight I don't about mind that you besmirching my new profession. Yes. I do mind the musicals. <laughs> so I just don't like it. And mm -hmm. I feel like I'd like my songs to be in the place where the songs are. Mm -hmm. And I want my movies to be in the place where the movies are. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly, uh, you know, I, 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 you wouldn't call me one of the most important men in the world of art. Mm -hmm. Okay. I will say, though, poetry just exists in this world where it's, it's like lots of, lots of kids learn it. They go out and they do contests. They enter national contests. And at the end of the day, it's just Andrew, he Andrew Heaton is the only poet that matters. I am. That's it. I, I, I am, the, I am the, the, the Maya Angelou of Los Angeles, <laughs> the 21st century. I, yeah. I am that person. Yeah, I very much agree. I'm the only poet who matters, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm generally with you. I think that okay. if you're going to write something, mm -hmm. it should either be a proper paragraph with semicolons and periods. Yes. Or it should be a guitar song. Right. Those are, those are basically it. the two things that it should be. That's all. However... Given that that is a very, very uh, emphatic <laughs> attempt of me to comprehend mm -hmm. the aesthetic monstrosity that is Los Angeles, mm -hmm. if I wrote it out in paragraph form, it would just it would sound like a very angry old man complaining about how loud squirrels chew. Like right. It, it would come off like yeah. a tirade. Yeah. But by doing it as a poetry book, it came off as like pretending to be maybe substantive in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I will say, I mean, it's, first of all, a very handsome book, Thank as you. I mentioned. Thank it's you a very, very good-looking yeah. book to have it's on your coffee table. Excellent. Good coffee table book, yeah. It's the type of thing that you'd look at and you'd see, oh, that's a cool-looking book, and then you'd read the title and laugh just at the title. Uh, and it's very funny throughout. Thank I mean, you. Uh, you you take on, at one point, people who wear Che Guevara T-shirts. Yes. And that that struck me right at home. I loved it. <gasps> I would like. I would love to... If you ever see anybody in a Che Guevara t-shirt, you should just immediately go, why are you wearing that? Who are you? Right. Like, like, like I almost went, so one time, like back in college, I saw like a, a Swede with a Stars and Bars belt, belt buckle, like a giant Confederate belt buckle. Okay. And I was like... <laughs> you might not know the meaning. Because like, for the record, like, like we could debate the meaning of the Stars and Bars, mm -hmm. but if you're in like Rhode Island and you have a Stars and Bars, you're, you're a racist, flat out. Like, you're above the Mason-Dixon line. This <laughs> is that's not official? Up, this is okay. not up for debate. Right, if, okay. if you're in like mm -hmm. upstate New York and you have a Confederate flag, you're definitely a racist. Right? <laughs> so I met this Swedish guy, and I was like, why do you have a... St and he looks down and he goes, rock and roll, 
And I was like, oh, I get right. it. Because Leonard of, Skinner and or I something, think, yeah. I think that Che Guevara, <laughs> I think Che Guevara's like, oh, because I'm cool and I yeah. want to fight the man. And I'm like, right. But like, and I talk to them, like, do you like, are you aware that he sent gays to prison camps? Right. That that was something <laughs> Che Guevara, like his goal was yeah. to get a nuke, literally to get a nuclear bomb to drop on New York. Yes. And like, we all hate capitalism and Wall Street, right? It's a horrible thing <laughs> that allows us to use these iPhones we purchased our <laughs> Che Guevara shirt from Amazon.com with. How horrible it is. But like a lot of toddlers would have died if he nuked New York. Right. I mean, Etsy didn't exist in yeah. Cuba. Uh, that, that was not something Cuba was capable of creating. No, that like uh, that whole... I don't, I'm trying to. I'm trying to withhold. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're you're baiting me with these tirades. <laughs> what of my ba- like? Because I get this all the time. People are like they hate capitalism, but I'm like, what do you mean yeah. when you say? And they're like greed. And I'm like that is not the mm, mm-hmm. like. And I have a lot. I have a surprising amount of Norwegian friends, mm. and they're all like, oh, we are capitalists. We just have a social safety net and all this stuff. And like, yeah, yeah it's. And then I'm like, what like what homegrown craft beer phone do you use mm-hmm. that that like you hate capitalism with? Yeah. It is a very strange thing, I, you know, because, of course, it's capitalists selling these shirts. Yes. Uh, and, and, I, you know, I actually thought about, true story, mm-hmm. if I wasn't going to do this, what I was going to do is make um, alternate universe Elizabeth Warren presidential inauguration <laughs> commemorative plates, which might have been the only thing more niche than this. But I was like, yeah. I bet Elizabeth Warren fans will buy those. And, like, and I was like, I'll sell you these plates. I wasn't oh. rooting for Elizabeth Warren at all, but I'll take your money. <laughs> exactly. And like, that was what I was going to do. Then I was like, ah, I don't want to have to get into plates. That's a weird thing for me. So your criticism of Los Angeles is interesting because it comes from a place, your, your main criticism seems to be it's just it's too sprawling. So ugly. It's sprawling for sure. Yes. Yes. It, it, what? Explain why you believe it's ugly. Because people think of Los Angeles. I think if you don't live there, uh-huh. if you've never visited it, I, I grew up in in the Northeast, and I think of Southern California as like California girls, beaches. It's beautiful. Like, I that's not how my what my impression would be without actually visiting the city. I mean, there there's plenty of hot people in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. No one's disputing that. Most of them are eventually ruined and spit out the bottom of an industry they don't want to be in. But there's a lot of them, and they're coming every day. So you definitely get hot people there. No, I think it's like, first of all, I think that L.A. gets a significant amount of wiggle room for just being sunny, which is like, just take, like, imagine like a horrible food, like like some kind of, something you'd get at a gas station that's just not, it's clearly, it's like like old, like stale Twinkie, mm-hmm. but it's smothered in gravy. And people are like, look at all the gravy. Yeah, right. Like, right. But the yeah. thing is bad. They're like, it's so much gravy. That's how, like, Los Angeles is that. There's a lot of sunlight. Yeah. Congratulations. But, like, it, like, for example, my dad had cataract surgery a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And um, for two years, he just thought it was cloudy all the time because it was happening so slowly. Oh, and when, oh. he, when he got it done, he was like, boom. Oh, my God. It's blue again, right? Right. Like, imagine that happening in Los Angeles where the, everything pulls apart. And you're like, oh, Garbage. It's just <laughs> tiling grout and rusty, broken laundromats connected by strip malls and endless traffic. Yeah, and then the sprawling thing too drives me nuts. And it also it, it sets off like I have like um, you know, in Star Wars, there's mm-hmm. this Jedi Force ghost of Obi Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Like the ghost of Barry Goldwater follows me around <laughs> and shouts at me sometimes. <laughs> and like the the reason that Los Angeles is sprawling is not. Some like it's not because we live in America and we love cars. That's not it. Uh, it's because the the city fathers in Los Angeles and lots of other cities, I should add, uh, wanted to stop black people from moving into neighborhoods. And so back in the 40s, and it goes way back, like the first housing regulations. By the way, I don't do a policy screed in the book. <laughs> it's mostly <laughs> right. funny. Yeah. But the, the first housing regulations or the first zoning regulations mm-hmm. in California 
uh, were in, I think, Los Angeles and San Francisco, and it was keeping laundromats outside of the city proper. And I thought, like, okay, chemicals? No, Chinese people. They, mm. they were designed to keep Chinese people out. And then come, like, 1930, 1940, um, they, uh, Los Angeles specifically banned multi-family units um, throughout most of the city. And today, 80% of the developable real estate in Los Angeles, by law, cannot have more than one family in it. So as a result, they basically, they've outlawed building up. You can't do anything like this in mm. most of L.A. So it just bubbles out. It just bubbles out like cellulite on a driveway. And then it just <laughs> ossifies into cement and it crackles. So whenever I drive through and you get stuck on the 401 or the 101, and you're like, why? Like, you're like it doesn't have to be this way. Right. They just haven't tackled the ghosts of old dead racists that run their housing regulations. There are a lot. There's a lot of policies. I mean, we go back to the marriage licenses, yeah. for example. Which yeah, was built absolutely. on the same sort of foundation. And right. they just didn't want white people and black people getting married. A hundred percent. Because previously it was like, we, I don't need the government to tell me. Like, I got, yeah. I got like, uh, you know, my Lutheran pastor or whatever, Uncle Sam can take a hike, right? Yeah. And we were like, oh, I don't say we. They were like, oh, like mixed races. I don't know. We need to license who people can marry. Yeah, yeah that's really how it started. I remember going, you know, getting married back in the day and having to go to like this, the, the town town hall and you get to fill out this paperwork. And I'm like, this is what we're arguing about. Like, this is the big controversial issue of that day, which was like, well, I really want the town selectmen to approve my marriage. It's like, what do I like? I get nothing I, from them. I cannot believe I am truly in matrimonial bliss unless the ombudsman <laughs> right. of my city yes. council agrees that it has been properly collated. Like, yeah, that's like one of those other things too. Like if if, if you got a, if you got a letter and it was like, hey, bad news, we went through the county courthouse and your marriage license, you signed the wrong line, mm. all of your children are bastards now. Yeah. You'd be like, I'm pretty sure you know, I'm really married. Like I'm fairly confident that my like what I view as marriage or God views as marriage is different than what you think is marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so you go to you leave uh, you you were living in Oklahoma before you went there or was I, I'm trying to remember I was, the, I was in Texas you were in Texas so I'd, I'd been in New York for several years mm -hmm. and then I moved down here to mm -hmm. Texas yep. and uh, it was in Dallas for a little bit when I worked with you guys yep. and then I was in Austin for a few months okay that's right Austin yeah. that's what and I then uh, which mm -hmm. is a fun a fun place but very very hot like Austin is like oh yeah I, I love Austin but I hate sweating and my goal is to become such a bestseller with this that I never have to experience <laughs> 90 degrees Fahrenheit again for the rest of my life <laughs> that's a good goal my goal is just to avoid or like 80 percent humidity you should go to Los Angeles it's beautiful there and uh. they have Perfect temperatures oh, all yes, the time. It's perfect all the time if you're a coward who fears winter, which right. is another thing. <laughs> I, this is another thing. I think you need to have seasons to remind you you're gonna die. Like, like that, okay, that's you, an interesting. You, you need. I, I realize this sounds like fatalistic and mm -hmm. old world, though. You need to have a moment at some point during the year where it's cloudy outside and leaves are falling, and you stare out the window and go. I'm gonna die someday. Yeah. I, need to get my, my I need to yeah. get my stuff together. In Los Angeles, it's always sunny, so that you just wake up and you're like, oh my God, I'm 52. I have a beanbag. How did this happen? Right. I have roommates. I'm wearing a hoodie. <laughs> I have a skateboard. What what happened? <laughs> it, like like it can sneak up on you. You yeah. need those seasons so that aging doesn't sneak up on you that way. So what? But what about the culture of Los Angeles turns you off? Because it's not. I mean, yes, uh, the, there's a lot of cement. Mm -hmm. You know, the, it sprawls. There are a lot of things very expensive. Uh, there's a lot of problems that you list in the book, but the yeah. culture it doesn't seem to me, knowing you relatively well, to be a, an exact fit with Andrew Heaton. Yeah, well, so I, I have to be honest with you. I did not get to experience that much L.A. culture mm. because I experienced lockdown. Yeah. I, I was there for, <laughs> for one month. The only, I, I did literally I did two social events in L.A. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to Disneyland, which was really cool, and I was constantly mistaken as a safari park guide. Like that really? Fun. Yeah. Actually, it was, Disneyland was really fun because everybody thought I worked there. And when I went to Main Street USA, people thought I was like mayor or like, like I, I have like a weird old typey vibe. 
Um, and then I had a housewarming party, which was the only event I did. Like it was the like a week before lockdown. And I went on one date and it didn't go well enough <laughs> that we decided that we were, it was like- You're not gonna push through COVID for it. Being single during lockdown was like losing the biggest game of musical chairs in recorded history. <laughs> it was like, I, like, I'm like, hey, you wanna come over for dinner? We're on lockdown. I was like, oh, and I'm like, okay, all the wives are taken, all the girlfriends are taken. Can I get a dog? They're gone. Mm. And I was like, what about uh, Oculus Quest? Gone. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I was gonna like glue a rabbit pelt to a hot water bottle and like have that be my ersatz uh, mammal. I didn't get to experience the, the culture that much. I am told by people that it's very fake. Uh, that yeah. is possible, but but to be honest with you, I have not experienced that. I do have very good friends in LA, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm hesitant to write off the whole thing. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of, there are a lot of vapid people. I'll tell you that the one thing that did strike me is very weird about LA is there is a lot of superficiality to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to imply that everybody is mercenary and that everybody is just going to parties, even though there's a poem in the book about that, mm -hmm. uh, in order to utilize other people. I think people are people everywhere. I feel very strongly about that. Uh, however, I, I do think that there's a lot of superficiality. There's a kind of cult of youth and a cult of hotness. And that benefits me because I'm very handsome. Mm. But for other people, maybe mm -hmm. not. And th where, where I think it starts to manifest in a weird way is like you see all these guys that are like 70 with like jet black hair. Yeah. That makes them look cadaverous and weird. Yes. And you see these, these women that have had so much plastic surgery, they begin to look like cats. And I'm just like, I don't, this to me is not, I think it would be better to just age and own it. And, and like, I found that very yeah. strange about it. It's the Radiohead thing. Gravity always wins. Right. Eventually. Yeah, and yeah. You could see that happening. People fight it and they fight hard. Yeah. Valiantly, I would say. Right. Yeah. It doesn't always work. Um, so your journey here, so t that leads to this very funny book, is you're in LA, you hit lockdown. Uh -huh. At some point you give up, right? Like you give yeah. up on Los Angeles at some point. Are, are you writing the book while in LA or are you uh, have you escaped LA and are writing the book on the road? I wrote most of that book the last week I was in Los Angeles. Really? Where I would, <laughs> I, like I, I began writing it, I didn't mm -hmm. know I was writing a book yet, but, mm -hmm. I, but I was walking, when I first arrived in the, in the city prior to lockdown, I was uh, looking for apartments and I was texting my friend Justin Robert Young and was saying like, this whole neighborhood's made of bathroom tiling grout. Why does this, like who allowed this to exist? <laughs> like I would, I was, I would just going like, again, this is pure aesthetics. I'm like, they should evacuate the neighborhood and then firebomb it. This is horrible. <laughs> like don't kill anybody. At least you evacuated. Obviously. Yeah, yeah obviously. Right. But that said though, we should absolutely rebuild this thing. <laughs> uh, and so that started. And then the last week I was there, cause I, I like, I never, I, I am a forest guy, mm. I am a fog guy, I'm a castle guy. Like, I really belong yes. in Scotland. This is what I'm saying, right. though. Why right. did you go there? Yeah, like, I, I picture you yeah. as eventually becoming, like, the the head of state of some country I've never heard of. Yeah, That's what I feel like right. yeah, is, like, how you end up. I'll, I'll be swinging through Dallas, and you're like, so what are you up to? And I'm like, I'm, uh, well, I'm Chancellor of Liechtenstein. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just weird that I'm married into the royal family, <laughs> yeah, and so I've weird. got a chalet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Agreed, mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. I went there because I am a comedian, uh, mm -hmm. or at least was before I became an international best-selling poet. Right. And uh, and and I went out there because I thought, okay, this is an ugly place, but it has lots of, it, it does have a ton of creative people to collaborate with sure. and really good networking. Now, I did not know that there was going to be a global lockdown that would stop any semblance of networking. And so at some point, because the first like, when, when lockdown started, even in LA, which was very serious about it, I was like, man, this is going to be a weird fortnight. Two weeks of this, yeah. this is going to be. We're oh, going to yeah. write. This is going to be a big thing this year. Two whole weeks of lockdown. That's going to be a thing. Crazy. And then, like you know, cut to six months in, uh, where I have now like made my own watch. I've bought like <laughs> I've bought a little self-contained ecosystem of shrimp because all the dogs have been taken. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, I'm getting. I was already pretty weird, and I'm definitely getting weirder. 
Uh, this place is expensive. I live in a 600-square-foot box, uh, which is the most expensive place I've ever lived. I don't like this place. I don't particularly like summer. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I finally went, well, this is just dumb. If I, 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 my day job is hosting a show called The Political Orphanage, mm -hmm. and uh, I, can, I had been doing it remotely you know, since I moved out there. And it was like, well, like I, I, I might as well move someplace which is cheaper and, and has more space and trees I can walk around in. And so I bought a 13-foot fiberglass camper from an 86-year-old guy named Dave. Sold it to me because he just got married. And he didn't think it was big enough for him and his wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I'd kind of travel around five six months. I would like I would go work uh, someplace, and then that, and then during the week I'd be at, like at an office environment. Then I'd putter off to a forest, and I'd just walk around the forest, absorb tree air. Yeah, no, I was uh, you came on the show like from your camper. Yeah, 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 was, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so what do you think? Um, and and I, I'm keeping you too long, but let me ask you this last one. There it has been a large. Um, group of people that have done what you did, that were in LA, that mm -hmm. were in New York, and have left. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of it is, part of it was lockdown, part of it was, you know, I think a lot of people looked at this and said, look, we, we should have been able to go to the beaches this whole time, and, 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 and there ha there is a, there's a power grab, and, and, and I think there, that's part of it. But it's, it's more than that. I think there is that, there's an idea that this, that maybe COVID has pushed people to a place where they just want to be, they want to be somewhere where they're not a slave to the city. They're not, mm -hmm. they're, they don't, the city, it doesn't control them. They want to go someplace where they can kind of live their life, do their thing, do it with, you know, without spending every single dime they have every day. And I think people, maybe people are, in, are, are starting to um, discover that, you know what, the whole country isn't New York, LA, Chicago. There's more to it. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And like, I, nothing would please me more like, I like New York. It's too exhausting for me, but yeah. I like visiting it. Mm -hmm. If I were a billionaire, I'd live there. That'd be fun, yep. right? Uh, but I'm not so so uh, until until I, this until, yeah. yeah until yeah. now because poetry is yeah. just you know a cash cow yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> huge industry uh, but but I, like I like New York that said though as a guy from Middle America who is a creative person nothing would please me more than if like if if there was more of a, a leveling effect where you could go to Austin or you could go to Chicago I mean Atlanta's really big in film right now mm -hmm. um, it tends to sadly it just tends to be whichever state is doing the best tax incentives which which is to say subsidizing the film industry yes uh, and and I don't care for that but Austin has a nascent thing going on I think Chicago's always had an improv scene um, New York and LA will always be New York and LA particularly for creative pur purposes there's there's enough infrastructure it's hard there to do anything outside of those places yeah. in these industries right least. although i do think it'll get much easier i mean like like in, in podcasting i mean it used to yeah. be you know you, you at least need a lot more equipment but like i literally did it out of a camper like using some equipment in my phone um i think for things like film you're going to have to be in a specific area but for a lot of for creative people in general and for more broadly everybody it's much much easier to move out of places one of the things that I think is going to happen that's going to be really interesting from COVID that nobody anticipated is I think that there's going to be a purpling effect in America mm. where starting around like, I guess since like 1900, we become a more and more urban environment or urban, urban country, right? So mm. like 1900, I think like 60% of the population at that time was farmers. And now it's like 3%. Yeah. And so most people in America as of 1900 lived in sparsely populated agricultural counties. And that was most Americans. Now, most Americans are urban in, in a broad sense, uh, and, and, and that has continued. And it, it was um, accelerated during the 2008 housing or 2008 uh, recession. Sure. And when you look at the, um, the recovery that's happened, didn't ever happen in small towns. Like 80% of the economic growth that's happened since 2008 has taken place in like one of 15, or it's taking place in like the top 15 cities in America. Mm. Like if, if you're in Jowles County, Iowa, 
or you're in, you know, a, a, a leaky elbow Wisconsin or something it's like that. Yeah. They're, they're great places, mm -hmm. but they, they didn't have the same economic growth, sure. right? Um, and so people left and they went to the big city. A lot of people want to go to the big city. That's great. Not everybody does. A lot of people wanted to stay home with mom and dad and the people they knew, but they went there for career purposes. And now what's happening is people are moving back because they can have the big city job and they can live back home. And I that's good. That's going to be a really interesting effect. And I think it'll also be good for America in that I'm not saying that cities are bad. I'm not an anti-city guy, mm -hmm. but I do think that social trust is facilitated by knowing your neighbors mm -hmm. and that I, I think people are oftentimes more tolerant if they feel like they've got a sense of place and they can they can handle other things coming in. So I, I am hoping that that makes people a little bit more contented and a little bit more um, integrated within the national landscape rather than being socially isolated. Well, uh, I'm not an anti-city guy from the author of Los Angeles is Hideous. Um, I mean, I'm anti that city. Okay. <laughs> I'm just not anti all cities. All that cities. city's horrible. That city should, it, it should disband and like turn it, like if, if tumbleweed were made of garbage, it mm -hmm. should just do that and scatter to the winds and the people in Arizona can bury it. Others, like the concept of cities. Right, okay, now we yeah. understand. All right, by, by the way, by Andrew Heaton, number one best-selling poet, um, uh -huh. Potentially award, award worthy. Yes, is what award I would say. Worthy. Not necessarily Great, winning, yep. but worthy. I, I, what, I, what I'm actually really hoping to do mm -hmm. is the, the National Poet Laureate uh, lives in Tulsa, where I now live. Okay. Uh, she's probably a nice lady. I really want to interview her on the political orphanage and like have a proper, fine conversation. And then be like, did you know I'm a poet? Oh and when gosh. she says yes, be like, can I read you one of my poems? <laughs> <laughs> and then just go back and forth. And then just very kind of be like, now you would agree. These are equally good poems, right? right? <laughs> I will say, I guarantee I will like your poems more than, than theirs. Uh, thank you so much, Andrew Heaton. Thank you. The book is available uh, on Amazon, where it is number one in poetry, mm -hmm. at least I'm pretty sure it is. It's very close, if not. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great to see you, man. A pleasure to see you. Thank you very much, Stu. Uh, I, I always love hanging out with you. Thank you for having me on. I don't know if this has crossed over into your world. If, if you happen to watch a lot of conservative media, you may not have heard about this story. But there is uh, a big story that's on the left today, and it's about uh, Donald Trump. And supposedly a leak of documents uh, from the Kremlin that backs up a lot of the stuff that's been bouncing around about Donald Trump for a long time. Now, I'm kind of instantly skeptical over these things. I, I wasn't overly impressed by what they found in the Mueller report. We talked a lot about it uh, as, uh, as, as that went on, um, on, on radio in particular. And so this document has come out, and, and most of the people on the left have just kind of like swallowed it whole, right? Like this is 100%. It's, 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 all of our priors are met. We absolutely love this. Um, it's kind of interesting to see that happen. You know, I don't know that there's any real reason for uh, for us to do a deep analysis of it, but it's been interesting to watch a couple of the reactions on the left that have cast doubt on whether this document is even real. Uh, this, let me give you this. This is from Thomas Ridd. Now, Thomas Ridd is a guy who wrote a book about international spy agencies. He is a an expert in this field. He goes. He's uh, works for John Johns Hopkins. His, to tell you if he's a big Trump fan, his book was later utilized in a documentary that was very uh, anti-Trump. Basically said, you know, there was all sorts of problems with Trump and international uh, br uh, bribery and uh, all sorts of compromising things. That being said, here's what he tweeted about this story today. This Guardian story is likely to make big waves. I would remain somewhat cautious for now, however. For a leak of this magnitude, we need at least some details on the chain of custody. Also note the Guardian's own hedging. 
the in the in the uh, this is the whole story came from the Guardian, but he he hits one of the comments. Papers appear to show. What do you mean they appear to show? Do you have the papers or not? This paragraph makes me particularly skeptical. Um, uh, he uses the quotes are understood to have been. Sounds like UK intelligence might not be the source. Seem to represent is another quote. Makes me wonder how much the Guardian even knows about the source. Leak from within the Kremlin means risk of forgery. Again, this is an expert, not a Donald Trump fan. Other reasons to be very cautious. Timing seems too early for such top-level meeting participants. Very sensitive meeting, not lockdown. The UK government, no quote, not even anonymous. The Guardian doesn't even mention the risk of op or forgery and that strange reference to compromise. This is uh, the quote there. If you remember that word being used a lot around the Mueller investigation days, um, there is also apparent confirmation that the Kremlin possesses compromat uh, or potentially compromising material on the future president collected, the, uh, the document says, for Trump's earlier non-official visits to the Russian Federation territory. So that's one expert who's out there saying from Johns Hopkins. The, the Washington Post also has a piece that at length pokes holes in this Guardian report. It says it's hard not to be skeptical of the document for a number of reasons. Uh, and they, uh, just I'll leave you with one of them. First and for- foremost, it's very neat. It seems like a little bit uh, too much, too much like liberal fan fiction here, right? They really want this to be true. They spent a lot of time trying to prove it was true. It never caught on. The Mueller report came out and it really, you know, the left found a lot that they liked in it. But generally speaking for the nation, it sort of flopped. Obviously, it did not overturn the presidency of the United States. He was not thrown out. He was not uh, removed from office. And we went on for you know a couple of years after that and ended up in a very close election. So anyway, that's where that stands. If you hear about it, you kind of know a little bit of the background. Um, let me also give you this when we're talking about international affairs. The statement from Black Lives Matter on Cuba is kind of interesting because there's this path that liberal celebrities go down. And probably the most recent high-profile example of this was Michael Avenatti. Every once in a while, a liberal who says all the things that liberals want to hear goes too far and loses their credibility. People remember Avenatti going to prison because he uh, held up Nike basically at gunpoint. But in reality, like he went downhill a long time before that because largely because of that Brett Kavanaugh situation. He started, he brought out a, an accuser of Brett Kavanaugh that the left, left got really excited about and then they were let down because it was obviously a fake. Uh, and now, so that, there is precedence for this. Harvey Weinstein, really, really popular, big left-wing uh, political force, then committed all these crimes and obviously was disregarded. Black Lives Matter makes a statement about Cuba, basically blaming the United States for Cuba and how bad it's been there. Not communism. Of course not communism. They're Marxists. They've been praising. The Black Lives Matter head has been saying there's no better example of what we want in this hemisphere than Cuba. So they have to back Cuba. They have to blame the United States. Some on the left are, are looking at this and saying, eh, Maybe we tied ourselves too closely to this group. Finally, they're seeing this. We'll see if that actually continues to develop and watch uh, if any left-wing personalities decide to denounce this. I don't think it's enough yet for them to abandon Black Lives Matter, but I think the left is starting to see the truth about this organization, that they really are far left-wing crazy people. Back in a second.
Every once in a while, you have this sort of thing that exists for a long time, and, and, and then all of a sudden everything changes. You know, uh, smartphones, right? Streaming services. Uh, all these things that kind of like change the way we live our lives. Uh, another one that has disrupted an industry, and I've, I've heard about this only over the past year or so, is Ladder. Now, they basically looked at the life insurance industry and they said, this sucks. <laughs> we don't like the way this is working out. We need to change these things. Before Ladder, and I, I went through this process back in the day, you want to get life insurance, you got to drive across town, you got to sit through a sales pitch, you got to like, you know, have all sorts of medical information, you got to wait six to eight weeks to see if you've been approved, approved for something I'm paying for. Uh, you also get a zillion phone calls from agents trying to sell you on other policies. You don't want any of that stuff. Ladder is different. Uh, you can get fast, affordable term life insurance without even leaving home. It's 100% digital and you can apply for uh, up to $3 million or less of coverage without doctors, without needles, without you know, paperwork. If you're between the ages of 20 and 60, you need coverage and you want to come up with, uh, team up with a company that's really changing the uh, life insurance industry, you got to go with Ladder. Go to ladderlife.com slash stew. Ladderlife.com slash stew. See if you're instantly approved, not six weeks, instantly. L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash stew. Ladderlife.com slash stew. Yesterday, we introduced you to Chris Cuomo's doctor. Hmm. Uh, you can always comment, by the way, on YouTube when we're doing the show right below. We always look at the comments. Uh, here's one from yesterday. Uh, Chris Cuomo's doctor is a doctor like Jill Biden is a doctor. Oh, wow. That hurts. Uh, also, your reviews are always appreciated. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Go to your favorite podcast place. Uh, you know, share the show. We always appreciate that. Rate the show. Five stars. And, you know, a review. It's great. Whatever. Just go for it. Uh, it's great. Whatever. That's exactly what I thought they were going to say. After a long week of GB, at least Stu makes you want to live. <laughs> High bar to clear there. Andrew Cuomo is indeed awful. Every time Stu says old timey, I take a drink. It's getting difficult to function at work. Do I say old timey that much? I know I said it today. I think Andrew Heaton said it today, too. Oh, man, that person is absolutely hammered by now. And uh, I love this stupid show. Funny, edgy, and insightful. Five freaking stars. Appreciate the reviews all the time. Uh, let's, we'll be back in a second. You know, I've said it once, said it a thousand times. Don't be an idiot. Don't be a LeBron. We have a fabulous Space Jam review that I can't wait to get to tomorrow because it seems like it really sucks. And I'm just going to bask in the fact that that sucks. But they also, you have don'tbealebron.com where you can get mugs, T-shirts that say, don't be an idiot, don't be a LeBron, support LeBron James, and show that it's not his fault he's making a fool of himself all the time. He's an idiot and he can't help it. Don't be an idiot. Don't be a LeBron. Uh, a story was kind of an interesting one. Guy is going to clean an apartment and, you know, his friend's apartment goes in, uh, lifts up the mat, uh, gets the key, goes inside, makes friends with the cats, cleans the place spotless, leaves, goes home, says, hey, by the way, uh, got your house clean, or your apartment clean. You're welcome. You have really cool cats, by the way. The guy responds, I don't have any cats. Apparently, <laughs> apparently he went to the wrong apartment. They just both happened to have their key under the mat, like, you know, a lot of people do. And he went in and he cleaned the wrong apartment. Spotless. Didn't take anything. He wasn't his ceiling, but he did sort of break and enter by mistake. Uh, went around uh, and actually cleaned the entire apartment. And yeah, everyone, 
everyone kind of had a, a, a fun laugh about it, and it kind of ended in a good way. All well, all's well that ends well, I suppose. Um, and I'm glad to hear, by the way, that everyone was able to laugh about the situation. However, it kind of pisses me off. This guy breaks into a family's house, cleans it. All of a sudden, he's this big hero. I break into Alexis Wren's house one time to wash her delicates, and suddenly there's like a restraining order. It's a freaking double standard.